You ever wonder why we're here? Specifically in this chamber where there are no windows and no doors? I assume it's to beat this chilling challenge and find a way out. Of course, there's always my way. I mean, if Jenkins gets his way, yeah, kind of. See, I just thought we'd cut to the opening at that point, but fuck, that's dark. RVB Recall, where we make Disneyland references, I guess. Let's continue to do that. How many of these can we get? Last week, we we, uh, we reviewed things that weren't red versus blue. This week, let's shoehorn in Disneyland references. Let's see how far we go, because this episode is really, really dark. So we might as well try to get a little levity in here. I'm Katie. And I'm Megan. It's my first flight, and I'm still getting used to my programming. God damn it, you're good. So yes. So Yes. We are looking at Season 17, Episode 11, Omphalos. And we were incorrect in our prediction that it looked like we need a couple of episodes to wrap this up. A couple more episodes to wrap this up because it's this one and then 12 and that's it. So we evidently did wind up with only 12 episodes this season. So this, this leaves us in a hell of a place to wrap up. So it should be interesting because we are in the labyrinth. That's where everyone floated off to at the end of last episode. We are, uh, we are in our own personal hells. As first Krovos and later Genkins explained to Donut, I, I have like five bullet points on what the labyrinth is because they'd explain it and then they'd show something and then they'd explain it again and then they'd show something else and then they would explain it yet again in yet another way and show something else. So on one hand, it worked really well, on the other hand, it's just kind of like, I have so much to talk about here. This labyrinth is complicated in its simplicity. Yeah, it's, I love the way that Krovos basically broke it down in terms of like picture a box with a light bulb in it and the inside of that box, like it's surrounded by mirrors. Like I, I really loved that like elegant metaphor. But what like the, the labyrinth ultimately is is just what all of our other gods and goddesses this these past two seasons have been. It's an AI. And it's an AI that messes with your brain. And that's incredible. So think about this. We had Krovos, who created the gods who are AI. And then the gods created this AI to trap Krovos. It's the circle of life. And it's a little fucked up. Scan that to the Lion King. Anyway, I, yeah, I loved pointing out that, yeah, no, it's an AI and it runs on logic and also quote-unquote irony, not unlike Alanis Morissette. And it, yeah, yep, yep. Literally nothing in that song is actually ironic, folks. It's all just a series of unfortunate events. Is that in and of itself ironic? No, it's another unfortunate event. No, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. You know that because the word irony is used incorrectly so much that eventually the meaning of the word irony is going to change. Oh, absolutely. It's also why peruse has two completely different opposite meanings, as does biannual and biweekly. 
And also, if you're one of those people that gets on other people for using literally as figuratively, you're actually wrong because literally used figuratively has actually been used for many, many years. And they is a correct singular pronoun in English and has been since like the 1700s. So yeah, trans rights. Yeah, when I was a kid, I was specifically taught he or she was the grammatically correct way to do it. And I was like, but, but, but they works just fine. And it, it always drove me crazy that my teachers insisted on he or she. And then the next year you have a different teacher who's like, why are you using he or she? Why don't you just use they? And you just kind of bang your head against your a wall for a little bit. High school was great, you guys. High school was great. This has been Katie and Megan with Lessons in Grammar and Social Justice. Hashtag trans rights or human rights. Yeah, so the labyrinth, we're, we're back to this again. It's a reflection of themselves and it essentially eats them alive. It takes all of their strengths and ref it's, it's a dark reflection of them, basically. And the only way out is to wreck yourself. Like, hey, here's the abyss. Let me throw myself into it. Please stop. Please stop. Don't do that. Don't do that. And sometimes, instead of being a disaster scenario, it's what someone thinks they want. And then it just goes badly. And Gankins was so happy to explain this bit. I just realized what this is and why I love it. Okay. The labyrinth is the haunting of Hill House. <laughs> A bunch of individual little red rooms. A bunch of individual little red rooms. Okay, um, spoiler alert. It will show people hallucinations to get them to sometimes inadvertently kill themselves, which is sadly what happens to the mom in that series. And so looking at the labyrinth, the labyrinth is basically showing our reds and blues visions of what it thinks that is going to cause them to self-destruct as Krovos puts it. So I'm I'm seriously getting getting haunting of Hill House flashbacks here and it's awesome. And it's always a fun trope to play with, especially when you have a cast as varied as this. Like what is their nightmare scenario? Have they already lived it? Is it something from their past? Is it something that they're afraid of for the future? Like how, what is just the worst thing for them? And we see for Wash, it's being the lone survivor of a losing battle, which for me is hysterical because um, he's been lone survivor once already, or at least thought he was. Hello, freelancer. And yeah, no, just like, oh yeah, you lost all your friends again. Funny how that happens. It's an audio medium. You can't see my facial expressions. Great podcasting. Excellent podcasting. Um, yeah, no, this this is sort of... His is, I think, the most straightforward out of all of the visions that we see. Imagine Wash being the most straightforward out of this crew. But that's what I mean, is that, like, in terms of his motivation, his motivation lately has been, um, you know, keeping his adopted family alive. And... Um, yeah, seeing them all, you know, seeing them all die and at the hands, as you said, of a losing battle like that, it's rough. But at the same time, it's like, 
again, it's it's the most straightforward scenario. And at one point, I was expecting at least one of our boys and girls to have a scenario like that. So it makes sense that Wash is that person. I kind of like that this is what they used for Wash instead of going back to the, hey, he's been insane once. Well, like, I appreciate that we have moved past that, like, as a character and just as kind of the series, like, all right, yeah, no, the sanity thing, it's always been a hot button issue, but that's not his worst fear anymore. It's surround, it's his worst fear is things happening to all of these people. And I have to say the Minotaur Unitar joke was just beautiful. Thank you, Caboose. That was pretty on point. Um, if there's one thing about this series that I wish Red versus Blue had executed a little bit better, it's the whole epsilon breaking wash thing because it was it was always something that i imagined to be way more horrible than it actually was and of course like we don't actually see how bad it gets for him we just see the initial implant and how bizarre that was for him but that was always my my biggest complaint about this series is that like for this really big horrible thing it wasn't what I expected. And not that not getting what you expected is a bad thing. It's just not what I envisioned when you get an entire lifetime's worth of memories put into your head in addition to many, many scenarios of this AI being tortured put into your head all at once. It seems like for that, because the follow-up that we had on that one was, was, oh, hey, you were only out for a couple days this time. This time? is that it took a while for it to unspool and really take hold. And I think Freelancer going down in flames at the time did not help. But seasons 9 and 10, the Freelancer side of things had a lot of pacing issues. I think they hit the end of season 9 and went, oh shoot, we're only about one third of the way through what we wanted to do. And so they had to pack a lot into season 10 and cut stuff out. Like That would have functioned better as a trilogy, that said, the other side of things, the um, the being inside the Epsilon unit and then Carolina's revenge quest, were paced perfectly fine. So it's kind of, if you stretch out Carolina's revenge quest, you get tired of that by the end of two seasons, but we didn't have enough time to do all those freelancer shenanigans, and we didn't get to see what happened with Wash and Epsilon, at least not in depth. And I wonder if the point of some of that wasn't okay, well, this is the thing the fandom's fixated on. Let's show the initial bit. Let's show a little bit of follow-up. And then everyone has their headcanons and everyone's written it out and everyone's thought about it. Let's let fandom use their imaginations because that's what they're good at. And we are. We are. So I'm not surprised that's the route they took, but I'm with you. I would have loved to see a little more detail. 100% agreed. I, I understand why, why things shook out the way they did. And I'm certainly not, like, upset about it or anything. Um, you know, they, there's a lot that goes into production. And you shouldn't really get too mad if a show doesn't exactly go your way, Game of Thrones fans. <laughs> um, but my point in bringing that up is that I know you said you're glad that we've moved past it. I would love to see it at some point. But at the same time, so much time has passed and he's grown so much as a character that I also don't mind it. That being said, it's still like on my wish list of things I could get from Red versus Blue. Maybe if they do like another anthology season or something like that. It's something I will always want to see. 
<laughs> until I get it. And then I'm like, no, I didn't want it. Ah, this is too painful. Like you said, he's, as a character, has grown past it. So it makes sense not to go back to that well. And I appreciate that we've had that development for him. We've also had a lot of development for Carolina. And so hers, I would say, same path, even worse. Because hers, I mean, at the end of last episode, it was, I got rid of you. And we were, could be anyone. Could be dad. Could be shark face. Could be the meta. No, it's her in the past. Her running into her past self and just basically saying, I don't care why you're here. I don't care if time travel brought you here or whatever, but you need to stop. Your competitive streak needs to end. Dad won't love you more if you keep winning. He can't. He died when mom died and you'll bury him. Just this whole like her looking at this embodiment of her past mistakes and saying you need to stop. What you were doing was terrible. You put yourself above everyone else. And then her past self turning around and just being the most patronizing. I swear to God. Jen did a hell of a job on this. But her past self turning around and saying, oh, let me guess, you've tasted defeat, you've done this, and now you're scared, so you're keeping people around you as crutches in case you fall again. When have you ever allied with someone that you couldn't use? And just basically telling her, oh, okay, well, in giving up and settling down, you've betrayed your passion and you're not you anymore. And I'm sitting here just thinking, maybe... But past her kind of sucked. Like, she's a different her, and it's better, and she's moved on, and that's not a bad thing. It is really all in how you frame it. This was hands down my favorite thing in the episode. Um, because I was totally expecting Sigma. Or as as she started talking, I was like, oh, it's probably Tex. Like... And, like, that old rivalry coming back to the surface. You expect an external force. Yes. An enemy that she can fight. But, as with many people, we are our own worst enemy. And this whole time travel thing is... I, I imagine that it would bring up a lot of, like, self-reflection. And a lot of, like, oh, this is... I remember things being this way. And even even Wash going, like, yeah, <laughs> I forgot how mean she was. Um, this season did a really good job of kind of foreshadowing this very confrontation because going back and seeing how she was at f during Freelancer was a really good reminder of how far she's come. And now we're seeing that face to face. And I love the juxtaposition here of a her having this argument with her past self and you hear the passion in her voice because she's like the way I used to be and the way I used to feel that like that I, that was wrong and you have that um side by side with Krovos going it's righteous anger that fuels them it's strength that fuels them and ultimately that will be their downfall and you hear that righteous anger in Carolina's voice as she's screaming at herself and then again, it's all in how you frame it. Her past self turning around to be like, no, I was great. You're, you're weak now. You've lost it. You've lost yourself. Well, there's something to be said about losing, what you, losing sight of your passions. Um, because I think for a lot of younger people, too, 
because I think about like what would I tell my younger self and would my younger self be angry that I gave up on certain things Um, because that's part of growing up you try a whole bunch of things and you go well okay what works and what doesn't work and then you end up pursuing some things and then giving them up or you end up pursuing a lot of things to their natural conclusion It, it all depends life is a crazy journey but if you were to tell your younger self like oh yeah I gave that up would they be furious with you for doing so? And it's like, well, no, it was a natural thing to give it up when I did. Um, But would your younger self listen? And of course, it's perfectly fine for Carolina to have given up that competitive streak. Like, ultimately, that was a very toxic thing for her. But at an earlier point in her life, competition was all she had. And so it makes total sense that she would say, you've lost yourself. You've lost who you are because you've given up. Well, when who you are is based on something that's poisonous to you and murderous to other people, maybe changing is a good idea. Like, mm, they call it a redemption arc for a reason. Also, I think I would just give my past self lottery numbers. You know? That is the plot of Back to the Future 2. Um, I don't know what I would tell my past self because like there, there's a lot that, again, we only learn by doing it and like figuring it out on our own. So I don't know what sort of advice I'd give to my past self other than like keep on keeping on. Yeah. Yeah. Also depends on how time travel works. If you guys at home have any advice for your past selves, we want to hear it. Yeah. What would you what would you guys tell your past self if given the opportunity? Let us know. Before we move on to our next piece of personal trauma for our characters, we'd like to give you a word from our sponsors. Rooster Team Radio is sponsored by Fred's BS. Breads and spreads by Fred. Fred's BS is an LA local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients, nothing is ever frozen, and Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. Also, if you're LA local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Fred's BS, treat yourself because you deserve it. We have one more person dealing directly with their past. Um, We saw Kai's. Now we see Griff's. His is Coach Prestwood, who is evidently the worst gym teacher ever. And so we see Griff's is a little more played for comedy here, especially after coming off of Carolina's and Sarge's. But it's still, you realize how much other people can fuck you up when you're young because the way that he's being treated, the way that he's talking to this gym coach that he had as a kid and the way that this guy is talking back to him makes me think that Griff has been heavy all his life. And that this guy just never saw past that and picked on him. So the whole you made me hate effort itself thing is rough. Just really rough. And yeah, you you never realize until later just how much other people influence you for better or for worse when you're a kid and when you're impressionable. 
and someone in a position of power making your life hell will definitely do that. So that that's the deep, awful side of it. The funny side of it is the fact that he's running a wipeout course. Just, just a wipeout course. And Coach Prestwood cannot pronounce things to save his life. The snipper riffle. The snipper riffle. Mm-hmm. There, I mean, I don't want to diminish the hard work that teachers do. They, they, they are overworked and underpaid, and teachers deserve a lot more credit than they are given. But looking back on things, there is nothing worse than a teacher who makes you hate the subject matter, that makes you hate learning, that makes you hate anything associated with the subject they are teaching you. There's nothing worse than that. And that's what this man did to Griff. <laughs> he made him hate trying. And that's the worst thing that a teacher can do. Because I, I, I was lucky. I had a lot of good teachers growing up. There were, there were some meh ones growing up. But I certainly had friends who, because of the way they were taught, would just shut down when they came across a problem they couldn't solve. And instead of being able to, to figure out, like, you know, proper problem-solving methods, like, they would just sort of give up on themselves. And that's a terrible thing. And so there's nothing worse than a teacher that makes you hate trying. And trying doesn't just apply to gym class. It applies to everything. So it wasn't, you made me hate gym, you made me hate running. It was, you made me hate effort itself. And that'll just fuck up your entire life. Popping back a little more to the present, we started off the episode with Tucker where his worst thing right now is being alone. Not because everyone's dead around him, just because they're all kind of gone. He's finally figured out this leadership thing again and, you know, part of the team, working with people. Where did they go? So just him sitting alone is like, okay, that's... That's a tragedy. That's... Yikes. It's funny that this is where he ended up. Because during the events of Season 6, he was kind of off doing his own thing. Basically being this cool, sword-wielding guy on his own. He was basically doing the Dark Paladin quest thing without it being a Dark Paladin quest. But he's like, this is my magic sword and I'm often doing things unrelated to the current plot. But they're big and important. And... In a lot of ways, I kind of feel like Tucker really excelled being his own person for a little while. Um, but yeah, coming back to the group, obviously, that changes the dynamic a little bit. And obviously, he's changed a lot. And it's different being an effective person on a mission versus being an effective teammate or an effective leader. And he's learned how to be an effective leader. So it's just so funny to me that... As soon as he's learned this lesson, he's alone again. But instead of being able to excel, he's just isolated. Well, when he was sent off as kind of a solo agent, like, he was prepared for it. At least mentally prepared. Like, okay, this is where I'm going. This is what I'm doing. I'm going to be doing it on my own. Whereas here, it's all right. We're gearing up for the final boss battle. The boss disappears. All your teammates disappear. And it's just you and the void. There's no preparation for that. There's no goal to meet. There's no nothing. You're just stuck there with yourself, which is just the worst. 
and also a very fitting punishment for somebody who was so conceited and narcissistic and self-serving it makes a lot of sense for them to once they realize the error of their ways then be left alone this labyrinth is cruel (laughs) it's a harsh mistress and david bowie's nowhere to be seen that's the real tragedy of all this speaking of tragedy sarge has an office job his was for me the most convoluted and it took me a little bit to kind of follow the logical bent for this one because his seems almost like well his and Lopez both did this a little bit but it's like surprise you have an office job you've always had an office job and you're dreaming of army life like um okay given that this was a follow-up to sometimes it gives them what they think they want and makes it terrible like okay so he wants an army life so you pretend that he didn't have one and you give him one but worse and like how do you make it worse than being an ODST oh you go to Normandy that's that's how you do it this whole thing was just a little weird even for red versus blue what I kind of interpreted it at for at, at first when we see him in the office space I thought it was like oh actually you know Sarge has all the this talk of like battle and and glory and you know the glorious red team and everything like that I took this initially as oh he he might talk a big game but he secretly wants a domestic normal life after everything they've gone through um and so I thought that with Genkin saying it gives them what they want he like it was giving him a normal life and that he was going to be unsatisfied with that and how mundane it was and I kind of thought it was kind of fitting given that you know Matt Hollum does the voice of Sarge and now he's like the CEO of the company and I imagine that that changes your dynamic going from producer slash voice actor to running the whole damn company I imagine that you know there's a little bit of meta commentary in there but that's not what this ended up being. What I interpreted this whole thing as once we got to the end of it was that he actually, you know, the labyrinth was making him a soldier in Normandy on D-Day and that he was fantasizing about an office life because the cruelty of an actual real war is so terrible that he was using that office fantasy or a memory of an office life as like a way to shield himself from the actual terrors of war see we approach this from completely different angles i don't i don't know if it's supposed to be vague or if it's one of those things where execution was so damn weird you never really know exactly what was intended by this but kind of got the point still sucks sucks (laughs) And Lopez, Lopez is the definition of getting what you want and it just being terrible. Lopez's thing is he's a human and he's speaking English and everyone can understand him. Damn it. Now this one is, I think, the second cruelest <laughs> out, of, out of all of these scenarios. Second only to Carolina's. Because ultimately, what does this character want? He wants to be understood not just as just not just in the literal sense of he's speaking a different language but he wants to be understood as a sentient being because he's the only one out of everybody here who's a literal 
different species isn't the right word, but he's a robot. I do love that one of the few bits where we had with him actually being understood was the, oh shit, he's bilingual, please don't kill me bit, which I loved. But I also think Lopez being a head and getting picked up by Locus and just having that conversation with him was probably some of the happiest moments of Lopez's life. Because Locus, I think, can deal with the absurdity of simply just talking to a head and someone who understands him at more than an elementary level and converses with him like he's a person. I absolutely need to hear Grey Haddock doing the Locust voice going, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well. That would be amazing. I would pay all of the money for that. You don't need Grey for that. Just get a cup. <laughs> to make the Locust sound. Yes. Um, but yeah, the so yeah, ultimately he wants to be understood as his own person and but also he really does value who he is and we see that when they start talking about gustavo beautiful beautiful gustavo why did i have to be born a disgusting meat sack and not a beautiful robot like gustavo i loved that when he was speaking in english for one i don't know who that was uh you don't know who does the voice of lopez I mean, it's Bernie, but that didn't sound like Bernie. It's Bernie. <laughs> it's Bernie. And that was the other thing I wanted to bring up was how freaking hilarious it is to hear him doing the Lopez voice, but speaking in English. And I love that the subtitles were Spanish. I thought that was the best touch. 100%. And what I what I loved, it, again, this was so funny, but ultimately tragic and the one thing that I'm not certain about is how it ends. So Lopez takes a long walk off a short pier. He is the first one to go, but I think they chose Lopez for this because it, his death seemed very impermanent. He's just like, all right, well, we rebuild him. He doesn't really die, as it were. So I feel like that's the reason that we picked him for the and here's what happens when someone gives in scene because we'll, we'll get him back. I don't think it would have had the impact that one of our human characters walking off a cliff would have. Well, and we should also probably talk a little bit about what we think that is because it's this big glowing orb, which I assume is meant to be the center or the core of the labyrinth itself. Um... And this is where I want to bring up what we were talking about last week, the Omphalos, which is the title of the episode. We talked about last week how it's basically the center of the world. And so that's what I sort of surmise this to be, is this is the center of the labyrinth that he's flung himself into. And we're also at the center of a black hole. So just all of this. But yeah, so Donut has decided that he's going to go into the labyrinth and save his friends. Krovos doesn't have enough power to send him, but if she takes the fragment of Shizno that's in him, and also in Doc, who has just been there the whole time and has been waiting patiently for his turn to speak, Hi, how you doing? Then, then that's enough power to get him into the labyrinth, and that's where we end this. Like, good luck, buddy. Very polite of Doc. <laughs> Being very patient. There's polite, and then there's having a relative sense of urgency 
And I feel like Doc only has one of those, and it's not the right one for the situation. Point being, though, there are two of them. And I think that's interesting because, again, according to Wikipedia and its description of the Omphalos, uh, as we mentioned last week, in Greek lore, Zeus sent two eagles across the world to meet at its center, the navel of the world. And so I thought it was very interesting that both of them are here. I'm like, oh, so a god is sending two things, two messengers, basically, to meet at the center of the world. So I think it's going to be Doc and Donut, just sort of loosely looking at that um, Greek parallel. That being said, like, oh, man, I'm, I'm really pulling for that here because... I was initially thinking that, that was going to be Huggins and Muggins. Um, I still think Huggins could come in and make for like sort of a buzzer beater save Hail Mary pass at the last minute. But I really love the idea of Doc and Donut going together because ultimately I still want to see Doc's redemption by the end of this season. Um, so that's what I'm pulling for. I do think it's still going to be Donut alone just because we set up the, all right, with what little power I have left and with what little power you two have in you, I can send one of you. And this, I think last season was a little more Doc season, and this season is definitely Donut season. Like, it has been all Donut all the time, and we discussed this a while ago, but it's been a long time coming. So it's, it's good to see for him and so that's where we end this episode and we are uh going into the season finale next and i don't know if they're gonna have enough time to wrap all of this up to be completely honest i just don't know i'm excited i'm really excited because again we actually didn't talk about the fact that we haven't seen what simmons reality looks like so i i think that's interesting that they sort of held on to that for a little bit how much you want to bet that's the one that Donut's going to drop into immediately? We also haven't seen Caboose's. And I think Caboose might have this one beat because it was also his simplicity that allowed him to befriend Santa and beat those trials. And I will never be able to say that with a straight face because Santa. So I wouldn't be surprised if Caboose is able to kind of get around this just by virtue of being Caboose. And um, we recently rewatched the, uh, the, the end of the last episode. And sure enough, out of everybody screaming and yelling uh, as these visions of, from the labyrinth start haunting them, we don't hear anything from Caboose. So yeah, I feel like that's a solid prediction. Or he's just stuck in a room full of kittens with spikes. Oh no! <laughs> and there's nothing he can do about that because... While they may have spikes, they are still kittens. Um, the next episode is also called um, Theogony. And as we've done multiple times this season, I did not know what that meant. So I went to Google to give us the definition. So um, red versus blue acting as like a word of the day calendar has been a lot of fun this season. Red versus blue study for your vocabulary SATs. 
So theogeny, uh, according to Google, is the genealogy of a group or system of gods. And if you scroll down just a little further, you see that the theogeny is a poem by Hesiod. I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Describing the origins and genealogies of the Greek gods composed in about 700 BC. It's written in the epic dialect of ancient Greece. So sort of think the Iliad um, or uh, the Odyssey sort of works like that. Honestly, I just think of the begats chapter of the New Testament, where it's just so-and-so, begat so-and-so, begat so-and-so, and it's the lineage of Jesus, and it is the single most boring gospel reading on the planet, I swear to God. So that, that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's basically talking about um, the rise of Zeus to supremacy and the birth of his many children. Um, so the, the poem doesn't really go into like a lot of the struggles between the gods and things like that but it's establishing mainly where they all came from which makes a lot of sense because Krovos's whole motivation was you kids and your music something along those lines you kids and you're overthrowing me and your barrier hammers and your prisons made of gears and you <laughs> yeah that so this uh this should be interesting I don't really have a I think you know our predictions as it stands are Huggins coming back as a buzzer beater Caboose being able to beat the labyrinth on his own by virtue of being Caboose and Donut getting dropped into Simmons's simulation but again we have a single episode to wrap all this up in and I am uh I'm intrigued to see how they'll do it I'm still pulling for team Lisa Frank but one of the things I really want I forgot we called them that. <laughs> yeah, still pulling for Team Lisa Frank. Ultimately, I actually do want to see, like, sort of the 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 visions of the labyrinth. I would love to see them break down, actually, because one thing I like about scenarios like this where characters are getting shown various manifestations of fears or anxieties or memories and things like that, I love seeing those moments where characters go... Either this isn't real or I'm like, you hold no power over me, <laughs> so to speak. So I would love to see the you, ha you have no power over me equivalent for Carolina specifically. I would love to see just her overcoming the power that her past self had over her. That would be really cool to me. Yeah, Carolina's had a rough year or so. It's been difficult for her. That's what I want to see, but I also fully realize that Krovos has stated very plainly that that's not how the labyrinth works. So, uh, again, pulling for Team Lisa Frank. Here's hoping. So, we will see all of you for the finale, and in the meantime... I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Manguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I also do a Lost retrospective podcast called No Love Lost, where my co-host Will Link loves Lost, and I don't, and we talk about it. And uh, if you want more Disneyland references, you should check out a podcast called Party of Two, which features our friend Mark Bedonica. And I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias as well as on YouTube and Twitch at Kiaxe. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. I also, also do another podcast called On The Point, where my co-host and I talk about Overwatch and Overwatch League and things pertaining to Overwatch. And we have a grand old time doing it. 
We are gearing up for stage three at this point, and it's going to be wild, you guys. Predicting another perfect stage for the San Francisco Shock at this point. So, yeah, there is that. If you enjoy all of this wonderful Rooster Teeth madness, you should check out the other podcast on the uh, Rooster Team Network. So, anchor.fm slash the Rooster Team. We have all sorts of stuff. We have Gen Lockdown, which is our Gen Lock after show. We have the Camp Camp Counselor's Corner, which is going to start gearing up this coming week because uh, Camp Camp premieres June 1st. I would imagine that that is also going to drop on public release days, so keep an eye out for that. That should be all sorts of fun. You can support us on Anchor. You can also find us on Twitter and YouTube and TeePublic, all at The Rooster Team. And, of course, supporting our sponsor supports us, so head over to fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. Do that thing, get cookies, listen to podcasts. Um, Maybe don't time travel because it causes all sorts of issues. And we'll see you in the Everwen. Mm -hmm.